This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, folks. Now, there's different titles, and I feel kind of bad because one of your titles is, what's the title that you have down that drew you here today? The top 10 things young people can do to increase mental performance? All right, I'll talk about some of those things, but we, they kind of messed up the titles a little bit. Um, but I will mention uh, a number of those. One thing you can do, by the way, before we get started, is sing. Did you know singing is great for your frontal lobe? And did you know that uh, um, Einstein, always when he struggled with a problem, he would go out and begin to play his violin? What they know now is that once you do that, it engages all parts of your mind and it wakes it up. So it ends up that singing hymns is actually pretty good for that. So in the Depression Recovery Program, what we do in the morning is we sing hymns with people who are depressed. And they listen to me sing and they think, man, that guy's weird. <laughs> but then I explain to them how it is that uh, all different parts of the brain are awake, especially if you sing parts and there's different harmonies or if you play an instrument, or if you tap along, and it wakes up every aspect of your brain. Um, it's actually a, kind of a curse that um, we have words on screens, but not notes on screens. Um, it would actually be better to put notes up on the screen along with the words, and sing more complicated harmonies than um, just uh, a melody line. So if you really want to improve your, your brain. Okay, tip number two, because I feel bad since this is the, <laughs> some of you are here. Uh, tip number two is to, is to drink water uh, for your brain. Um, your brain's uh, reactivity goes up by 14% if you drink water. So if you're going to an exam or something like that and you want to have an edge, Drink that water. It definitely will wake up your brain. In fact, if you really want to get the most out of this talk, just drink water maybe halfway through so you don't have to leave for other reasons. So water is excellent as well. Um, so one other thing that's excellent for your minds, if you really want to do well in terms of your minds, I'm giving you three as I think of them, then we'll start with what I have prepared, is... Don't eat late at night. If you eat late at night, um, you uh, secrete insulin, and insulin knocks out melatonin production. Melatonin production is what consolidates memories and makes your brain remember what you studied. So if you decide to study all night at Denny's, go ahead and just take one letter grade off. <laughs> it's not helping you. So. If you go to bed at 9 o'clock, in, in other words, the hours before midnight are worth two afterward. If you go to bed then, the melatonin, and you don't eat late at night. When I say late at night, not four, like four hours before you go to bed. Because if you eat, uh, if you're eating, you know, close to bedtime, then what happens is you... Uh, that melatonin production is cut off, and 
um, you just never get it. So you never really consolidate your memories. So um, that's tip number three. Let's see. Um, was that tip number three or four? All right. Um, I better drink some more water, yeah. Yeah, so early to bed, early to rise. So if you go to bed around 9 o'clock, then I like to get up around 3 or 4 in the morning. So this morning I got up at 3 o'clock. And then I start with my devotions first because I want to give God the best time, right? And then, uh, then I go forward. I wish I knew all the stuff when I was your age. <laughs> but, you know, like other people <clears throat> that went to school with me, they seem to know this. I, I guess I wasn't that interested back then. Uh, but it really does work, and um, you get up early. Don't try and stay up all night and cram for a test. It just will bottom you out. It, you won't do as well. Another big thing, a big tip for uh, mental sensorium is uh, watch the sugar spikes. So if you want to have everybody else get bad grades and you get the best grades, just hand them some M&Ms or something. And, uh, or give them something that's a high in the glycemic index, and, and their blood sugars will go up. You know, they did a study of juvenile delinquents that would be about your age. Some of you may be in that category but not identified yet. Anyway, I'm just speaking from experience. Um, and they found that most of the people that are in, uh, you know, jail have, many of them have blood sugar problems. And when your blood sugar is off, you have very poor impulse control. And you also have very hard time remembering things. So watch the sugar spikes up and down, you know. Uh, watch that. Um, very important for um, you to do well and have peak mental performance. All right, that's enough. Now I'm going to start with what I prepared. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're thankful today that we can study, talk together about some practical matters, but also about the vision bold in terms of health evangelism, and we ask that your spirit could be with us. We thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, all of these different things I said, I wrote an article in the review uh, for a devotional this last year. Um, and I was supposed to have that printed out uh, at the booth, but what I'll do, come by the Weimar booth, and I'll make sure and have the, uh, or maybe I'll just look it up right now at the end of this presentation, and I'll give you that article. Um, or if someone wants to put a sheet around, and I take your emails, I can email you all the article, or I can just post it up on my website. Why don't I do that? That's the easiest. Um, Newstartglobal.com. Newstartglobal.com, uh, the health program, click on that and go to director's notes. And then I'll, I'll post it up there, director's notes. And you can have more. All based on, uh, actually, that article is all based on Daniel. All based on the, the prophet Daniel and tips from, from his life. Uh, that uh, positive. Okay, yes. My booth number? I never heard that number, but it's the Weimar booth with the big, huge shield that looks, you know what the big Weimar booth is? 
on the right side at the back. Okay, thank you for those searching questions that I should know the answer to. Okay, the vision bulls. God is calling you. He's calling us. He's calling you. You know, uh, we're talking about the cross in the conference, and we live between the it is finished of the cross, that's John 19, 30, and the it is done of the seven last plagues, where God's people that are alive at that time go through those, and he looks at them, and he says, it is done, as he looks at them. So they're the ones who've accepted the message of the cross. They've taken up their cross. They're following him, and it is done. Now, what are those Chinese characters in the middle of Zion? I don't know. I don't read Chinese, but Wikipedia does. And I believe this is what it says, if I cut and pasted correctly. What is essential in war is victory, not prolonged operations. <laughs> what is essential in war is victory, not prolonged operations. You see, Christ uh, was here several thousand years ago, and I don't think he ever meant for us to be here this long. And so we need... We need to be about our Father's business. Um, and in our first section together, we recognize that Jesus was about his Father's business. When he came on earth, he first of all cleansed the sanctuary. He was following a pattern from Daniel chapter 9. It gave him a prescription for his life. And by the way, this is an excellent pattern if you want to follow in terms of health. If you start out with the sanctuary every morning, say, look, I'm going to cleanse my relationship with God and make sure that's all in order, that's a great thing. That's what Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry, and that's what we should do at the beginning of each day, at the end of each day. Secondly, he was anointed, we learned in our first presentation, and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Well, how do you know that he had the Holy Spirit and power? Because he went about doing good, A.D. 27 to 31, his acts of physical healing. And everybody still talks about those. And the apostles or the, uh, the followers of Christ, the, the disciples, they, they, they liked what happened so much in Christ's classes that they took notes, and the notes are the New Testament. You know you're a good teacher if they put your notes in a book. They didn't have time to write notes because it was so active. It wasn't like sitting in a lecture like today. They went out, they healed people. And they saw him heal people. Physical healing. Even raising people from the dead. So, you know, like in our health program that we have, we, we pride ourselves on having the most outreach hours of any health program we know of. Because what we want to do is be out there. And it's amazing what happens if you just get out there. You start helping people. It's amazing what God does. He can help you help people when you're out helping people, but not when you're studying about it. If that's helpful. How many of you going to an outreach today? There's going to be some things that happen, right? Physical healing. Then secondly, on the cross he died, 31 AD, and on that cross there... 
It wasn't just a dying on the cross that was disconnected with real people in real time right there. (laughs) He was healing people even on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you will be with me. I say to you today, when I'm on the cross, it doesn't look like I'm going to live. In fact, I am going to die. But I say to you today that uh, you'll be with me in paradise. So there was healing on the cross, but... It was actually emotional healing, uh, we've suggested. In our text for the seminar, or for the overall conference in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he bore his, our sins on the tree. By his stripes we are healed. And Isaiah 53 is, is mentioned a number of times, and that Isaiah 53 has everything to do with emotional healing. Let me give you another tip to do well in school. You know what it is? Don't let your emotions lead you. Uh, You're saying, well, how in the world do I not let that happen? (laughs) If you have a great love affair with Christ and he's fulfilling your needs, you don't have to worry so much about what everybody else thinks. If I was to look at my grades looking back, and I'll see one of my fellow students here, uh, Larry, if I was to look at my grades, they were really not a reflection of my intellectual ability. They were not a reflection of my intellectual ability. They were a reflection of my uh, emotional uh, inability. Because, you know, like I I had a girlfriend. Oh, she didn't look at me. Oh! (laughs) So I get an F, you know. Or I, you know, I remember uh, just so many stories I could tell you. This happened and that happened. And what happened was my emotions were leading well, that teacher's an idiot because they called me an idiot because I was being an idiot, but that doesn't matter. They called me an idiot. So I'm going to teach them by not paying attention in class. Oh, that's really smart. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, talking about your relatives. <laughs> it's kind of dumb, too. It's like laying down flat on the floor and spitting. It comes back to hit you. The point is this, you know, emotions, emotions will kill you unless you have emotional intelligence. That doesn't mean you're uncaring and whatnot with other people. You can be emotionally sensitive, but you know that you're about your father's business. When Jesus was on the cross, he was offered some, something to drink that was not necessarily pure grape juice, right? And what did he say? Well, no, no thanks. I don't need to self-medicate. I know, like Elder Bohr said last night, I know who my father is. And even though no one else is around that's supporting me, everyone has fled. I'm going to trust in my father. I believe he'll get me through this. I'm telling you, that is a huge tip if you want to do better in school. It's actually a great tip if you want to do better in life. You see, anything you don't learn in school, you learn in life. The test is not the test. The test is life. (laughs) And don't think you'll get away from it. I remember I thought when I was a kid, I hate English. I hate it. I will not study English. But then I decided I wanted to be a pastor, and they said, you have to take Greek and Hebrew. The Greek and Hebrew books were written in the English language, to describe the 
Hebrew and Greek language. And as they went through, they said stuff like, this is much like a prepositional phrase. What is a prepositional phrase, I said in graduate school. This is much like an adverb. What in the world is an adverb? It's a verb that took a math class. You know, I had no clue. What is a dangling participle? You know, I'm looking on the trees. No. So here's what happened. I had to go buy an eighth grade English book to study in my graduate class. What am I telling you? There are no shortcuts in life. You got to learn what you got to learn. Amen. Don't let your emotions, and the reason I didn't was because this English teacher was like really mean to me. Just stating the obvious, like, it appears that you don't really know how to read, Mr. McIntosh. <laughs> well, how dare you say that? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so, in other words, getting your emotions in, in, in control. Christ had his emotions in control, right? So physical healing, emotional healing, and then the last we saw, after Christ died, he was so effective, like guess what happened? After he died, his disciples were just like him. They went around doing good. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, 6. They went around doing good, and they were meeting needs. They were confirming the covenant with many, even though he'd been cut off in the middle of the week, A.D. 31. They were a lot like him. In fact, they were so much like him that in Antioch they said, Look, Christians! They're like Christ. How many of you want to be like that? That's the picture, right? And, and that was through meeting a social need. Remember Stephen, AD 34? What did he do? He didn't just say, Look, the math adds up. I'm Stephen. Believe. This is what we've done with our message, right? Instead, what was he doing? Making sure the Greeks and the Hellenists were fed in the daily distribution. You see, every aspect of this prophetic give me five Adventist message, right in the middle is the cross of that message. Every single aspect of that message is a paradigm, it's a prescription for your life. Don't forget the sanctuary. Clean it out. Confess your sin. No? Be right with God. Watch after the physical aspects of life. Be a person that is physically in shape and brings physical healing to others. Watch out for the emotional aspects in life. Be a person who's in control of your emotions and can help other people who are out of control emotionally. Be a person that cares about your society. Don't just live to yourself. Life is not about just you. Even though everybody who draws a map always puts their country in the middle. Right? And remember, 1844, you're a part of a movement that puts all the first four together. You're an Adventist. Amen? Right in the middle is what? Cross, right? So, <laughs> man, let's go on. You see, what happened was in the Advent movement was supposed to be living this, but why are we still here? 
You know, Christ hasn't come. Many times Ellen White said, you know, he could have come ere this. Well, here's why. For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into heavenly Canaan. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It was the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that had kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. Look, <laughs> I have another talk where I go all through the Exodus experience. Guess what? If you followed all the things God tried to do to help them physically in the Exodus, you would do so well in school. But the fact is, even though they knew all the right things, they just didn't stand on the promises. They just stood on the premises. They didn't claim the promises. All right. So I want to give you now six basic things on top of the things I've added in already. Um, if you would like to see, um, be a part of the, uh, the victory that God wants in your life and in the world. Number one. It's all taken from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 6, page 369 and 379. And by the way, Testimonies, Volume 6, Testimonies, Volume 5, is all about righteousness by faith. Testimonies, Volume 6, is all about sanitarium and health work. Well, it's actually about health work and college work. I'm going to college. You want to see what she thought a college should be like, so you can see if you're in the right college, just read Testimonies, Volume 6. Testimonies, Volume 7 is about the health work, sanitarium work. Testimonies, Volume 8 is about Kellogg when he flaked out. He basically went emergent. He was the emergent church. He was the uh, alpha emergent church, right? And if you want to read about that, that's Testimonies, Volume 8. Testimonies, Volume 9 is all about evangelism. It's all about outreach. It's all about health evangelism. It's all about that. So that gives you an idea. So, level one, what does she say here? Let all examine their own practices in terms of personal health to see if they're not indulging in that which is a positive injury to them. Let them dispense with every unhealthful gratification in eating and drinking. You guys want to be successful in life, like I told you already, <laughs> and I have made so many mistakes. You know, when I was in college, I was a coffee drinker. Can you believe that? I drank 18 cups of coffee a day. Before that, I drank, I had, I, I, I mean, I made Starbucks look like they didn't have any bucks or stars. I was a complete idiot when it came to drinking that stuff. And then I wondered why I had this huge fluctuation. I'm in the middle of class. I'm like, I need my coffee. And when I realized that one day, I was just like, I am totally addicted. Don't get into that. I was just with some young people a couple weeks ago, and they were like, when are we going to Starbucks? I was like, yeah, I'll go with you. Well, what are you going to get? I'm going to get their hot water. Really like that. <laughs> now, there's two young guys in Adventist history, these guys, E.A. Sutherland and Percy McGann. These two guys lived this idea. You know, in their day, they were contemporaries of Ellen White, and all these testimonies that we have now, testimonies of the church, were written to specific individuals. And so everybody said, oh, that was, for, that was for Don, that was for Larry, that was for Judith, that was for Henry, that was for Kenny. That's not for me. That's not for me. But you know what they did? They said, wait a minute. We're going to take those messages, even though they weren't written 
We don't think specifically us. We're going to take them to heart ourselves. And one of the messages they had was, this was a message that Sutherland said to McGann or the other way around. By the way, if you want to find these people's names, they're like, you know, they helped found Lemelindo University and Madison College and whatnot. But anyway, they had this discussion about whether or not they should eat meat. And one says, you know what? I don't think I should do that because Ellen White says that uh, those that are going to be translated won't be eating meat, and I want to be translated. I'd like Jesus to come soon. And the other one said, you're crazy, man. The Bible says you can eat meat. And they went back and forth, but then they both decided, guess what? We're just going to do the best. We're going to do the best. Now, let me tell you something. Those two young people that did that, guess what? There was a bunch of people that followed their example now, you can follow the example in the wrong way. You can say, I'm doing that because if I do that, then I'll be saved. Well, that's, of course, the wrong way to do it. But the other way was, I'm going to do that because I think it's a blessing, and God gave us a prophet, and that's the right way to do it. And I think that's a blessing, so I'm just going to do that. And they did that, and guess what? A whole bunch of people follow them, and now science studies Adventists. And you know what they find out? People that live like Sutherland and McGann did, they have less diabetes, they have less hypertension, they have less heart disease, they have less weight problems, they have everything less. And now it's documented in the science. Everybody's going like, how did you know? Well, it went back to a conversation between some young people that said, guess what? We're going to listen to the spirit of prophecy because we believe it's a blessing. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) You can start young. I remember this guy came, this little guy, he's five years old. And he came and his dad came to one of my, I was teaching at Amazing Facts then, and he, kind of, he shows up, and he's there, and his dad is listening, and this little guy is like five years old, he's going, amen! I was like, man, what this unusual five-year-old, my, my five-year-old even now doesn't do that, although he's very religious, my little guy, but this guy was like, amen! And I was like, what is the backstory to this? So I go up afterwards, and I say, man, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm, how old are you? I'm five! And his, dad, and his dad says, I said, well, what do you do? He goes, I'm a dentist. I goes, well, thank you for coming, and, and you brought your son. He says, no, you don't understand. My son said we're coming to this. <laughs> what? Five years old, wants to come to, you know, an intensive evangelistic training. He saw it on TV. And he told his dad, he said, I've been listening to Doug Batchelor. <laughs> he says that what you're doing is wrong. We need to go to his school so you can learn. (laughs) So he brought him to the school, five years old. You see the impact that a person can have? The little kid said, look, you're eating this and doing this and that, Dad, but you know what? We're not supposed to do that because Pastor Doug says don't do it. I mean, you know, you can sophisticate the theology, but he was under conviction. Are you with me? Totally changed things. And if you have a revival in your personal health, It will not only help you, it will help other people. That's the whole story of Daniel. Starts out with a prophecy of health, doesn't it? And it totally changed the world. Now, my daughter, my my oldest daughter, she's now 14, which means I'm about 18. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Um. You know, she was learning her memory verse back in Wichita. I see some people here from there. She was learning her memory verse, and she had these little cards, tiny little memory verse. The memory verse was, 
do not rebel against the Lord. That was her memory verse. That's all she had to say. Do not rebel against the Lord. She loved that memory verse. She followed me all over the house. <laughs> I'm in my bedroom. Do not rebel <laughs> against the Lord. How many think that's a good message for the bedroom? <laughs> I'm in the living room next to the television. Do not rebel. I think that's a great message for that television. I'm near the refrigerator. Looks at me with those big eyes. Do not rebel against the Lord. I said, can you keep her? I'm going to the store. She goes, no, I want to go with you every aisle. Do not rebel. So, folks, can your personal experience can your personal health experience have influence? You know, he sent his word and healed them. Applied. Number two, family health. Healthful living should be made a family affair. Um, I thought about this. I said, where in the world did he get this idea? And all I could think of was 1 Timothy, where Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? By the way, um, I want to talk to the men here for a minute. You know what, men? Regardless of what society tells you, and they'll tell you this in the church, out of the church, everywhere, they'll say, you're not the leader. Everybody's equal. Well, you know what? Statistics show differently. Here are the statistics. Did you know that if a child is the first person in the household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability of everybody else in the household following? A major study done in the, large, the largest Protestant denomination in this country. If a mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% probability everybody else in the household will follow. Pretty good. The mother's like, whoop that child, right? <laughs> now look at this, guys. If a father is first, there's a 93% probability that everybody else will follow. Folks, men, you need to be men. I'm hearing all the ladies say, <laughs> amen. The biggest need in the church is for men to be men. And it's manly to be a man. And if you, can, you need to fall. You know, my kids noticed a couple of years ago, I came home one day. And they weren't there. They were somewhere else. I think they were in Wichita, and I had had to fly back and whatnot. And... Um, and uh, I got there and the house was locked and I didn't have my keys. Everything was locked. Finally, I found a window that wasn't locked. And I was like, all right, I'll just climb through that window. I could not climb through the window <laughs> because my width had become closer to my length than I would have liked. <laughs> I was sort of like Panasonic, slightly ahead of my time in terms of my stomach, was getting there before the rest of me. And I was kind of embarrassed, but nobody was there. And I said, well, look, I mean, I can get there. And I found a chair in the backyard, and I said, I'll put this chair down here. I'd been flying around the country doing God's work, right, while I was eating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I put this chair there, and I tried to climb through the window. I could not climb through the window. And I was like, okay. This is a fluke because, you know, this is just not right. 
So then I thought, you know, I had a great thought. I said, look, I'll put the chair here, and then I'll come back here, and then I'll run. And then when I jump on the chair, I'll jump through the window. So I did that. I ran, and I jumped, and I hit the side of my house, <laughs> and I fell down in the bushes, and I'm laying in the bushes going, you know what? I was so mad that I got up from that, and the adrenaline, which I could have probably had a heart attack, <laughs> I crawled through that window, and I lay on the, kitchen, uh, on the living room floor where I crawled through for about 20 minutes to recoup, <laughs> and I made this decision. I said, you know, that's it. I am an abysmal example. So I went down to the, I don't know, some store, and I bought some tennis shoes, running shoes, and I just went out that day. I like walked nine miles. <laughs> and I just kept walking, and that's been like 2,000 miles ago. And you know when I started doing that? You know what my, my little guy did? Dad, I want to go out walking with you. Dad, I want to get a bike. All my kids. And my wife says, honey, I need to cook better for you. Look, men, be men. Amen? Amen? All right. You know, and this is the thing. How do you get men involved, women? Not by saying, let me lead. They're not going to say anything. They'll say, okay, go. You go, girl. <laughs> I'll stay home and watch TV. <laughs> they don't want to admit that that ticks them off. But they're built to be leaders, did you know that? Amen. They are. They're built to be leaders. Now, how do you motivate a man? Well, this is how Winston Churchill did it. He gets nominated or elected as prime minister to replace the wimp Neville Chamberlain. And this is what he says right after he gets elected. I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. And they all signed up. Yeah! <laughs> That's what men want. They don't want, like, let's talk about our feelings. <laughs> they don't want that. They should talk about their feelings. I'm not saying they shouldn't. Are you with me on this? They should talk about feelings. That's too hard for them. They want blood, toil, tears, and sweat. I'm even thankful for the people that lay down their lives so you can sit here in freedom. Are you thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. You know, we're in a battle in the church. We're in a battle against culture. we got to have people that stand up. How many say amen to that? I remember we were back in Wichita when I was the pastor there, and we had these health programs. You know, guys will show up at a health program if Cialis commercials start looking good to them. And if you don't know what that means, I'm glad. <laughs> or they'll show up in a health program if they're losing their job, <laughs> all right? Some of you older folks are looking at me like I went too far there. But anyway, <laughs> you 
this guy in the middle, he came. He was an American Airlines pilot, and he was going to lose his job because his blood pressure went up, his blood sugar went up, his weight went up. He weighed 290. His blood sugar was 290. His blood pressure was 290. His blood sugar was two, He was Mr. 290. <laughs> and Mr. 290 needed to do a 180. <laughs> and he came there, and he says, you know, I said to, he goes, I have to learn how to cook? This is a cooking school? I was like, no, 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 no. It's not a cooking school. It's a nutrition workshop. <laughs> bring your hammer, bring your... He goes, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Guys like projects, right? Like I said, you know, your wife knows how to make this for your family, but you've got to think about how to make this for 300 people. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I've got to know... Okay, so I'm telling you how to motivate men. And just remember this, that men and women work together in a family, and they can change your life. Ellen and James White work together. How many are glad they work together in a family? I know Mark and Teeny Finley, they work together. How many are thankful for their ministry? Um, <laughs> those two guys are not married. That's H.M. <laughs> Sorry, man, I just realized that doesn't look good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, a thousand times no on that one. But if you think in your, in your church of <laughs> the strong families, there are strong families. I mean, we were in a church, and we had, I couldn't find any other pictures on the Internet, but this was one of the strong families in our church. We had a number of strong families, and guess what? Those strong families, you got a personal revival, and then you have a strong family. Those are the things that make for a health revival in your church and in your community. Because people say, how does that really work? You know, this one family here, the Mills family, they, it was amazing what happened as a result of their influence and other influence. When I got to their church, I was not the picture of health. They like, they like took me um, under their wing. And, and they reached the entire city basically because they brought revival in families. This is how it works. Amen. So, you know, we're going to have this big thing in San Antonio where we're all working together to reach San Antonio. You know what I'm excited about? We've identified what are called the homes of hope. All these homes are opening their homes, and we're going to run health seminars and message seminars all out of their homes leading up to the general conference, and there's a big, huge evangelistic meeting that comes after that. We're taking a busload of kids down from Weimar, and you guys should come too. And we're all going and we're helping these different homes because we believe the family structure is what makes up the church. And we're going to say, okay, here's, here's, here's the Macintosh house, and we're going to reach all those homes right around there. Here's the Hanson house. We're going to reach all the homes right around. Here's the Cruttenden house. We're going to reach everyone right around there. And we're going to go door to door and then invite them and teach them how to cook and how to eat and do nutrition workshops and all that stuff in the homes. How many think that's a powerful plan? That's it. Level three, the church. There's a message regarding health reform to be born in every church. Now look at this. See how brilliant Ellen White is? She says, start with, with, with you first, then go to your family, and don't bother going to the church unless you've done that. Have you ever met people at the church who are like, well, I'm going to tell you what to do, but their families are wrecked. Or their own life's a wreck. 
Well, that doesn't mean give up on people because they're a wreck, because most people are a wreck. I mean, Jesus grew up in a wrecked home, right? It was a thermonuclear family. He didn't even have a, you know, and he did that because he wants to identify with even the worst situation. But how many think we should go for the best situation if we can? The selfish, health-destroying indulgence of men and women have counteracted the influence of the message that has prepared people for the great day of God. In the churches, if they expect strength, they must live the truth which God has given them. So bring a revival in your own life, in your own home, and then that'll influence the church. The gospel is to be linked with the ministry of the word, the gospel of health, the ministry of the word in the church. Don't separate them. Separate the medical mission work from the gospel, and the work will be crippled. Most churches are totally crippled. Because either the pastor and his doesn't believe in the health message or there's, there's, they're just, it's not working together. Uh, how many of you have ever noticed this? When I got, um, well, let me know. So they need to be separated. Every church must have its right arm reconnected. Now, when I got to my church, wait, this, why is this not doing this? Weird. Um, this is weird. Let me read the quote to you. Um, Councils on Health 503. If you're a, a Christian and a competent physician, you are qualified to do tenfold more good, tenfold more good as a missionary for God than if you were to go forth merely as a preacher of the word. Now, when I read that, you know, you know how I, I learned about that quote? There was a doctor in my church when I got to Wichita, and he, he, after like the second week, he read me the quote. I was like, this doctor's an arrogant. Um, you know, I had a few vegetables to say <laughs> in my mind, you know, you know. Um, so I go home and I said to my wife, I said, can you believe it? Those doctors showed me this quote. Look at this. And I think he thinks that he's competent and he's a Christian and I think he's got tenfold more influence than the preacher of the word. And my wife just looks at me like a blank stare, like she's ready to say something I don't want to hear. <laughs> you know what she said to me? Did that doctor write that? That's what she said. How many think that's a pretty good question? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean, did he write that? He showed it to me. No, 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 I'm not talking about showing it to you. Did he write that? Well, of course he didn't write that. Well, okay, well, who wrote that? And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Why did I marry this woman? But I, you know, I knelt down that day and I said, you know what? I need to humble myself to believe that. And I began working together with that person. And you know what? That's why I'm standing here today, probably. I've been around the world because of the things that happen as a result of those things coming together in a church. They came together at a church, they reached a whole community. I would go to a, I remember one, I, I, I couldn't even go to a store to be unhealthy. I remember once I went to the store, I'm in there, like I had this craving for sour cream and chips. Have you ever had this craving? I don't have these cravings anymore. And I'm in there, I'm going, man, I got to get this sour cream and chips. I'm sick of this tofu stuff. Oh! So I go back there and I get this stuff, I put it in my bag, and then all of a sudden I'm walking to the, and it was late at night, it was the other side of town, I felt like a drug addict. <laughs> Studies show that junk food is like that, it's very addictive, almost more than heroin. And so I'm over there, I'm like, I didn't realize, I'm like getting this stuff, and I'm like, oh man, this is great, and I have a coat on and everything, you know. 
because so many people were getting healthy in the city. And I'm walking towards the outdoor, and there's this lady comes in. Her name's Margie. Margie walks in. She goes, Pastor Don! I'm like, so I start to run, you know, so I, I'm like, hi! So I go, like, with my cart down the thing. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I start pulling these beans and stuff off the shelf just to cover up what I had, you know? So she comes around. She goes, it's so good to see you. What do you have in your cart? She pulls out. I said, beans, beans. <laughs> pulls out the beans. You know, I got, like, 40 cans of beans covering up my chips, which are totally smashed. She picks up the beans, and it says, pork and beans. I'm like, no! So guess what I had to do? I had to confess. I said, sister, this is what happened. And I just wanted the chips. Look, look, you know what? The good thing about... The good thing about this whole plan of personal health, family health, church health, is it starts to hold you accountable. And if it's really successful, even when you go to the store, how many of you want to have a church that's that powerful in your community? Now, the problem is most folks, older folks, don't want to listen to it when it comes to changing their diet. You guys can still listen. But a lot of people have, like, hardening of the attitudes and cirrhosis of the giver, <laughs> okay? And they just don't want to listen. Now, so what does God say? Remember the other day when I said, we need you. Listen to this. Get the young men and women in the churches to work. Combine medical missionary with the proclamation of the third angel's message. Send out into the churches workers who will live the principles of health reform and see if the breath of life will not come into our churches. So in other words, what you need to do at this GYC is say, look, man, I'm going to go back by God's grace and his power alone, the power of his cross, not my power, but his power, and I'm going to ask him to live out his life within me. I'm going to say, hey, look, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. I'm going to crucify the lust of the flesh. I'm not going to eat or drink what I want. I'm going to eat and drink what he wants. And when you go back into the church, guess what happens? You bring life to that church. I have seen that happen. In my health program, we have a four-month health program. We'll go to these churches, and there's a revival that comes because people see what's happening, and there's an environment that's created, and, and things change. Look at what it says. As Jesus in the temple solved mysteries which priests and rulers had not discerned, so in the closing work of this earth, children who have been rightly educated will in their simplicity speak words which will be an astonishment to men who now talk of higher education. They'll go, whoa, check this out. This is a generation of youth for Christ. When heavenly intelligence is seated and men are no longer permitted to represent or present the truth, the Spirit of God will come upon the children and they will do a work in the proclamation of the truth which the older workers cannot do. I have seen this time and time again. That's why I was taking young people with me to the door, right? <laughs> i got to be protected. <laughs> um, I just can't do things. The older generation can't do things that you can do. It doesn't mean you don't need the older generation, by the way. Don't go home and say, 
uh, we can do things you can't do. That's, again, like spitting straight up in the air when you're laying down. Just don't do that. That's like a white blood cell. It's like a red blood cell fighting with a white blood cell, saying, I'm more important than you. Yeah, until you get an infection, and you don't know what it is. <laughs> and you go, Mom! Because they're older. They know what's going on. How many of you are thankful for the white blood cells? <laughs> Give us some love, because you'd be dead without us. But we wouldn't have life without you, amen? You need to get out there and do the corpuscle hustle. <laughs> you need to be out there. That's what this is saying. So, you know, when we go to San Antonio, and I'm hoping a lot of you want to go to San Antonio and work. Remember the Alamo? Is there a battle? Do we need to fight? So when we go down there, we're going to be working with all these homes and all these churches, and we're going to be putting on these programs, but I think it's going to be dynamite if you guys are doing it, because you're going to have more power than anyone else. When I was a pastor, you know what I said? How do I get everybody to my program? I had the kids do it. They brought their moms. Who brought their dads? Who brought their checkbooks? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Level four, school revival. Man, am I running out of time or what? Okay, school revival. There's a work to be done in every school. Neither principal nor teacher should be entrusted with the education of youth until they have a practical knowledge of this subject. So in other words, personal revival, family revival, church revival, school revival. I am delighted to now, as a result of personal revival that has to happen again and again, as my story at the window told you, and family revival and church revival to be involved in the planting of a school. Because a school is supposed to be a training ground to help people do all the things we're talking about. Amen? That's it. If I was looking for a school, I'd look for a school like this. I look, like, I look for a school that's trying to do this. I, I seriously would. Uh, we're starting a nursing program. I'm excited. You know why I'm excited? We wrote out, we're going to have a school that talks about what you eat and what you drink, not just teaches nurses how to give pills and send bills. And like the California State Board of Nursing, they got like, wow, all right. They said no to like all kinds of other applications. And they said, we'll say yes to you. And they just this year said, guess what? You can start your school. It starts in the fall. And then we did the same thing, seeking accreditation for our school. This is what we're about, to heal a hurting world. You see the big shield down there in our booth. And the accrediting board, you know, they, they, you know, they looked at that and they said, wow, that's awesome. And they gave us eligibility for accreditation based on our idea, which is really not our idea. It's really these ideas. The world is starving for what the Advent movement has. Remember the five things? They need a sanctuary. They need physical healing. They need emotional healing. They need social healing. They need a movement that stands for that. How many want to give them five? But right in the middle is what? The cross of Christ. Amen? Our church schools are ordained by God to prepare children for this great work. By them, God's message will be made known by what? The church schools. God's message will be made known and his saving health to how many people? All the nations. Is that a bold enough vision for you? 
I want to be a part of a school that's like that Madison school. Remember those two guys that I told you about who were young men? E.A. Sutherland and Percy McGann. They started a school called Madison. You could work your way through that school. And you worked your way all the way through that school. By the way, I think people are open for a school like that again. Where you can work your whole way through. You know what? You know what we discovered? That if you just take government money and loans and whatnot, you really don't develop a work ethic. You get out with a bunch of head knowledge, but you don't know how to do anything. I was a great case of that. I, if, it, if I couldn't uh, fix it with a hammer or duct tape, take, I was through. Totally, practically an imbecile. But I had a degree. Even when I went to the floor, first patient, the first patient when I got on the floor in nursing, I was like, okay, here we go. I mean, I would, practical work as a part of your education is essential. Anyway, look at this. These guys read Ellen White's writings, and notice that was a picture. I went to that. I said, show me uh, your uh, E.A. Sutherland's uh, volumes of the testimony you had, because I met his grandson once. And he said, well, I'll show you the third set that he wore out. This is the third set. He wore them out. He knew those things backwards and forwards. And then he just basically tried to live them. That's what we're trying to do. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I want to end with this, even though I would like to go longer, but I think you have another appointment here soon, don't you? Listen to this. Elder Wilson wanted to come by this morning. He texted me from the airport and apologized, but one of his initiatives is this. There's no change. He, by the way, wants to encourage you to be involved in San Antonio. There is no change in the messages God has sent in the past. The work in our cities is the essential work for this time. When the cities are worked as God would have them, the result will be the setting and operation of a mighty movement such we ha as we have not witnessed. This is exactly what happened. You know what happened? Personal revival led to family revival, led to church revival, led to a school revival, and then a school got involved in this project in San Francisco. How many of you have heard about it? You know what? i got to tell you the backstory of that. Leading up to that, everybody was like, don't do it. You can't do it. No one's going to do it. No one's going to help. But you know what? We read these statements, and we said, we're going forward. And guess what? When we got there, there was a huge need in that city. 3,000 people treated in just three days in San Francisco and in Oakland. And just amazing stories. I remember talking to a young man. He's in there, and he worked for kink.com. If you don't know what kink.com does, don't look it up on the Internet. But it's pictures of people that just couldn't afford clothing, so don't go there. And this building we had gotten had this, this, this uh, uh, pornography studio. We didn't know that. That's not why we picked the building. And then there was this other part where we It was like the worst place in terms of if you were going to pick that. And I went there, and this guy, he's a security guard, and he says to me, why are you here? Don't you know you're going to get beat up? This is a terrible place. Why are you here? You seem to be the person in charge. I don't know why he came to me. I wasn't even in charge. But he says, you look. I said, look, we came here because if this is the darkest place, we want to bring just a little bit of light. He goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> I said, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the disciples, they were idios and agramaton. They, uh, but they took not sight that they had been with Jesus. He goes, what are you talking about? Three days later, he came back after all those people had been treated. He says to me, i got to talk to you again, mister. 
I said, what, what, what's up? He goes, I have never seen this before in my life. I've never seen something like this before in my life. And he started to cry. Very hard guy. Started to cry. He said, I've never seen something like this before in my life. This place of complete darkness has been a place of light. I wish you guys would stay here all the time. His friend was standing with him. The other superior, big, huge guys with tattoos that looked like they could. Anyway, so they standing there, and he looks at me, and he's kind of crying too. I said, I looked at him, and I think the Holy Spirit helped me with this. See what you think. I said to him, I said, are your parents happy that you live here? He goes, no. I said, now this was a complete hunch, but it was based on my journey to a far country. See, I'd been an Adventist, then an atheist, and then I came back. And I said to him, I said to him, look, I'm going to say something that might not be true, but maybe it is. Is your dad a minister? And the guy broke down. He says, how did you know? I said, I didn't know. I said, you know what I say to you? You need to be about your father's business. There are thousands of people in the cities. Thousands. Ellen White says there are millions of people in the cities and they need to be reached. How many of you think that's true? Millions. The medical mission work is a door through which the truth is to find interest to many homes in the cities. The judgments of God are impending. Why do we not awaken to the peril threatening the men and women living in the great cities of America? Our people do not realize as keenly as they should the responsibility resting upon them to proclaim the truth to the millions dwelling in these unworn cities. There is a vision, and it is a vision bold. Wouldn't you love to see medical missionary work coupled with our universities? I drew these zones before I ever heard about San Francisco and the project, and I said, God wants us to do this. And putting our Adventist hospitals together with our institutions, together with our churches in that area to reach all the major cities. How many think God wants that to happen? Guess what? We're out of time, but let me show you this. You're saying, Wait a minute, how are we going to pay for that? Look at this great promise, and we'll close. Do you not know that unless you carry the truth to the cities, there'll be a drying up of means? Look, you know what? If you help others, you yourself are helped. <laughs> Revival among leadership was the next one. By the way, ministers are supposed to get on board. Look, if they don't, if they don't get on board. Rick Warren got on board. He's talking about Daniel, the Daniel plan, all these different things. We're not listening. Oh, man, I could go through so much stuff here. But let me just show you. A revival among the presidents in our conferences, our ministers and our teachers. And then the final quote, and I'll just end with this. I wish to tell you that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. How many of you want to be there right to the bitter end doing ministry? Get involved in medical missionary work. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, give us personal revivals 
of health in this room. Right now, eyes are closed. Closed. You're saying, God, give me. I don't have it within myself. You, you need to revive me. Send your spirit. How many right here are saying, raising their hand, I want a personal revival in health? Amen? Amen? I see those hands on hearts. You're saying, look, I'm, I don't want to be a Starbucks Adventist. Amen? Number two, Lord, we need a revival in our families. How many men here today want to say, look, I want to lead for God? I want to lead for God. Amen. I want to, I want to grow up to be a leader for God. Amen. How many of you women here want to say, look, I want to be a leader for God too. I want to lead as well. Lord, give us a church revival. Lord, prepare us to go back to bring life to the churches. How many young people here today want to say, look, use me to bring life to that church? I don't want to just abandon the church. I'm going back to the church. I'm not just going to go away to school. I'm going to go back and give back. How many of you want to say that? Amen. Give us a revival in our churches. Give us a revival in our schools. Help us to reach the cities. Reach our leaders through the simple testimony of our own lives. We thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.